welcome to today's podcast. The funny thing is, this thing has been all pieced together. Remember a couple weeks ago, about a month or so ago, we, we started, I think on a Friday, talking about this song. We liked it. Um, it's Eric, solo for now, but a guest to come along in just a couple of minutes. Uh, right now, it's, it's actually... Friday, July 22nd, and I'm still kind of on the high from when we recorded this podcast yesterday. Um, I did not, I did not have good time management. Um, let me tell you about this. I didn't know what to expect. I did say that I had such a high, and I wish we could have gone on much longer, but I had to get the the, the radio show on the air. Um, I didn't know what to expect. Um, I didn't know much about this person, and I figured this was going to go one or of two ways. Uh, it was going to be a you know very forward, direct conversation, and we'd be done in twenty minutes, very very snappy. Uh, or it was going to be as it actually turned out. There's going to be no middle ground. Uh, it was an absolute delight. You get to hear me nerd out. Um, we're going to get into the weeds and get a little bit technical because this person is a technical wizard, a producer. His name is Jamil Aussie. Do you remember, maybe during that Beyonce podcast, I said, somebody told me that somebody local in Toledo worked on part of the album. Jamil is that person. Um, I will let him explain how exactly he and his partner came across the radar of a music icon. Uh, there is no one bigger doing music than Beyonce, and Jamil had a part of that. He's a Sylvania dude. I'll let you. I'll let you listen to his origin story. But we had such a good time. Such a good time. It was. It was fun to talk about how we both got into it. Um, to to get his perspective of the music industry, what he would like to see be done better. Um, I had I had a blast asking him certain questions, and then we wound up talking about sports talk. It was a great time. Uh, Jamil and I will come back one day and do a, a a sports talk only podcast. But now let's get to know Jamil Aussie and how he became a part of the new Beyonce album. Welcome. Um, if you have any radio nerd questions, I'm happy to answer them. As you did in one of your previous stops, uh, let me let me just start with well, one. Thank you for being here and taking the time. So again, I know so little, but this is kind of like my style. If I don't know stuff, this this is why we sit here and do this, so we can ask questions, yeah. and get to know one another, and blah blah blah. So you have worked with Beyonce on this on Renaissance, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, two okay. songs. Two. Um, and we're gonna just leave it with that, and we're gonna start with the origin story. So Jamil, thanks for being here. Man, uh, appreciate it. We'll, we'll we'll work up to the Beyonce stuff. What's what's your origin story? Yeah, so you know, to be honest, uh, I wanted to be you when I grew up, do radio, and you know that's kind of my first music love. Um, and I was born in Iowa, Cedar Rapids, actually, and you know, moved to Toledo in '93. And so my uncle Mo Schauscher from IOT used to take me to the radio and I'd watch him do all his live stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was incredible. So I think my, you know, just seeing all the records and the CDs and stuff, and he had a great collection, you know, so I would always observe and just pull random stuff and play it. And I think I found my love at that point. Um, as a creator, though, I didn't really start that until high school. And, you know, I had a lot of pain growing up, you know, you know, long story, 
we don't need to get into now, but I think that that led me to more of the creative process Mm -hmm. that came later. So about high school was where I actually started creating music. I was working at Marco's Pizza, spent all my money booking studio time every weekend, going to school during the week. So um, yeah, it wasn't until about high school that I, as a creator, I would say, you know, was my first time. For what it's worth, and I hate when people tell me this because I wish they could have heard me when I very when I started. Uh, as I told you, when I moved to Detroit from Philadelphia, people couldn't understand me because I had an East Coast accent. Yeah, but you have a very good radio voice. <laughs> Man, appreciate it. Does yeah, it get you, told? yeah, yeah. I mean, you you do too. You know, I that was one thing about my uncle Mo was he had this real smooth voice, and yeah. all the, all the old guys that used to work with him say the same thing. He just had that voice. So I don't know. Maybe it runs in the family, but yeah, it's definitely was my first dream in music was radio. What uh, what high school did you go to? Uh, Southview. Southview. Graduated in 02. Uh, what, was, what was Marco's life like for a little bit? Uh, you know, it was interesting. You know, we got in trouble <laughs> often. That's just what uh, we do at that age. That's what we do at that age. I mean, you know, they did give you free food back then. I don't know if they do that anymore, but that right. was the big perk, right? And when we were kids, it was like, oh, well, we get free pizza. We uh, get free cheesy bread. It, there's so, not much better when you're at that age and you don't have any money. I know, right? And especially when I spent all my money at the studio. I mean, literally, you know, back then it's 50 bucks an hour, um, even in Toledo at the time. So I, yeah, I literally blew all my money. So I'm thankful for my mom at the time because she did let me kind of, we, we didn't have the greatest means, but yet she still believed in, in me developing the passion for it to just blow all my money in the studio and experiment. Let me let me give you some of my backstory, not to talk about myself because that's that's not why people are, are here right now. We're going to work up to the to the greatness of this of this Beyonce stuff and and where things are going to go for you from there. Being a now we'll call it, just call it Sylvania native. I I get it. I Cedar Rapids, Iowa. No disrespect, but let's show love for four one nine. Yeah. So um, I just love listening to the radio. Like I told you off the podcast when I was a kid. Um, I wanted to be on the radio. I thought it would uh, it would make me cool and help me talk to girls and blah blah blah. And then I got I got I fell in love with watching uh, a CD show up at the radio station. And in six months, it became the song that people requested all the time. And then in another six months, they're like, "Please stop playing that!" Like the fascination of how just something showed up and 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 that whole start watching people. Um, Back in that day, we're talking like 98, 99, uh, they, the record labels would come in, play something, and I remember one time, uh, it was, we were close to the same age, maybe you'll remember this thing, was some animated movie, it was a Beyonce, no, sorry, it was Whitney and Mariah uh, duet, and they brought hmm. it in, they are like, you can't play it, we can play a part of this, you know, any recording devices, no, meanwhile, uh, no recording devices, but there was a, a cord snaked down the hallway, covered up with like construction <laughs> stuff, and they were copying the song. Of course they were. Played it on the air as soon as the record label Of course left. they were. So I was fortunate enough to get into radio at the right time, where some of the fun That's things awesome. like that yeah. used to yeah. happen, and I was just so fascinated with how these things came around, and how they became big hits, and the backstories. And then I wanted a DJ. I was never, I was never great, but I was good enough. And I love the music selection and seeing people move on the dance floor and stuff. Um, I never got into producing. I just liked being behind the turntables because I couldn't dance. So I figured if I wanted to be in the clubs or where I wanted to be, let me get behind the turntables. Yeah. Or yeah. as we were transitioning the CD players, then 
Did you do DJ stuff or did you just hop right in front of a computer? No, yeah, definitely never DJ ever. Matter of fact, we just had our 20-year high school reunion and I was the guest DJ with absolutely no DJ experience <laughs> whatsoever. So I'm thinking, thank God there's playlists, right? Yeah. So all I had to do was pick and set up a playlist and let it run. So it was great. But no, I never... I never DJed. A lot of my buddies, my buddy Adam Rossi's brother, DJ Rob Sample, good friend of mine, was was a DJ, and that was as close as I ever got to you know DJing. And uh, but no, and it's funny when you say like you know you got close to the music and you'd get it six months early and you got to see it. It's kind of like that in production where yeah. when we work on it, we're hearing things and you know we're maybe sent things in advance too that are in progress that no one's ever heard. And it goes the same for things we create. We create so much that never gets used. Yeah. And so that's cycling around different studios and producers. And it's the same thing. So it's cool to experience it, but there's less than 1% of it ever sees the light of day. Yeah. It kind of sits on the hard drive. Let me ask you this, because uh, I, I know people who uh, who produce often start out as DJs. Did that kind of create a bit of a divide for you being our age group? Like, I, I, I get it. If you're 22 years old now or or, or then you grew up with the technology DJing wasn't part of it you could buy god I forget what some of the programs were that you could just buy and then download some things oh, from yeah. Napster or LimeWire was there kind of a disconnect with you because so many of you people you work with probably did start out as like I did skating rink DJs yeah yeah I mean my I mean I started out my first professional keyboard was a floppy disk board so I've got briefcases full of floppy disks still to this day so I so I started out in that in that time period where, you know, now it's obviously lab. 12 year old can make a yeah. hit song on a laptop yeah. now, right? So, you know, I've. Fruity Loops. Is it called Fruity, yeah, Fruity FL, Loops? FL, is that the thing? Well, now because I'm, the word Fruity must have pissed somebody off. So now it's <laughs> FL Studio. So, you know, we have to watch what we say so much sure. now, right? But, but yeah, it's FL Studio and. No, but I'm I'm actually wouldn't have it any other way that I started out sequencing on workstations and tracking them out through consoles, and then that progressed into synthesizers for me, computer recording. I mean, when I started using Pro Tools, it was at the beginning stages within five to seven years, I think, of it actually being out there like that. And so that was new at the time, and now it's it's you know it's. Standard. You know, it's absolutely standard and it's kind of does eliminate. So if you've ever been in, but were to come to my studio, I still have modular synths. I've got analog synths. My console is touchscreen. So I'm interacting with everything that I do. And I think so for me, which is the same reason why I love radio when I was a kid, because it was cool to see somebody stack up the hours set one by one, load them in, you're queuing them in live on the spot, you're doing your live spots, you know, every 20 minutes or whatever you're doing. So it's the same thing with music now. So I try to, you know, keep as hands-on as possible in the day and age of laptops. When um, I needed to expand my, my skill set, and actually it was just one of these, you know, the old days of things. There was a, a guy that I worked with in Detroit. He he was wild. His name was Tic Tac. He was a radio DJ, and, and the city loved him. Some incredible stories, but he was the kind of dude, just we all loved radio and, and the vibe of everything, and we would just come back after the club. It's 4 o'clock in the morning, and we're, we're sitting in the production room making stuff. And that's when um, the production, like what you, uh, what you do, or what I was doing, is not as advanced as you are. But I 
to this day, love making the stuff that's in between the songs. Yeah. And yeah. Um, that's when Pro Tools, we're talking 2002, 3, 4, Pro Tools was becoming what everybody wanted to work on. And I always stuck with Adobe because Pro Tools was very daunting to, to me. Um, and to this day, I can't make music like you do, but I love doing the stuff that I do and the writing for it. Um, yeah. It's amazing where things are right now. Like your studio has to be worth more than a, his car. Yeah, I mean, it, it <laughs> might be beautiful. actually. I mean, well, depending on the car, of course. But, you know, yeah, you know, I, and I've built it over the years. So I didn't just go buy my studio yesterday. I mean, I've added a piece over the course of time, whether it's every year, you know, you kind of upgrade. I've always reinvested in the studio and which meant many, many years of never making any money because it was constant reinvestment. Yeah. And you know, some years you make no money and other years you have a great year. So it's so up and down. So I've just been a big believer and with technology, I think you have to, especially for me who wants to be hands-on, mm-hmm. I'm not just going to run my studio off a laptop, but I will say to any, you know, producers, anybody listening, who's, you know, the younger crowd that yes, you can still do it all with a laptop. Yeah. It's a choice of mine to not do it with a laptop. So just so we clear that up, you know, it's, I'm not saying that, you know, not to do that, but I just like to grab and touch and twist knobs and, you know, interact with things. There are no 22, tic, 22 year old TikTok stars listening to this podcast right now who are terribly <laughs> insulted by you, but it, it's, I'm, I'm, I didn't know how old you were. So I'm, I'm glad that we can connect on that level and you'd like to do that because I, it was fascinating for me to watch, um, as COVID hit, like the world obviously changed, but doing what I do and seeing where content went and content creation went, where I was fascinated once we were moving out of it. Um, obviously, like Billy Eilish was beginning to take off, but there were so many creators on TikTok that wanted to be like Billy Eilish. And you could do it on on apps on your phone. And if it had the right hook, the right story, before you know it, you're famous. And I was wondering when we got back out into the world, can any, and this is not a knock, I don't say this to denigrate anybody, but you were in your bedroom making this stuff while your parents were downstairs making tater tots. Thousand percent. For you. Like, can these kids perform this stuff that is really good music that people like? That's that's a really good question. I think that that's yet to be seen with a lot of the younger crowd, especially on TikTok. I mean, yeah, you can sit in front of your you know, phone and, and cut these TikToks and, you know, do duets or whatever you're doing. But yeah, can does that translate to the stage? I mean, I think that's also a big moneymaker in the music business. Yep. If you can tour and perform live, that's where a lot of these artists really make a lot of money. So a good friend of mine who's actually from Toledo, her name's Britton. She's a female artist and she ended up moving out to L.A., She's built almost a million followers on TikTok, really all started during COVID when we actually did a song together and we were flown out to LA by producer Tommy Brown and she ended up getting signed, kind of has a whole big situation out there. But she really, I guess, would be the catalyst of that whole thing is that she can sit and, and we've had that same conversation. It's like, look at your TikTok following. Don't ever forget yeah. that somehow this is going to translate. You know, what's your stage going to be when you work on your music? Like, how will this translate? So I think it's a question that if if anybody's not thinking about that, that you should be thinking about it. Yeah, and, and, and this is what the labels do and management does. They hopefully find your strengths and weaknesses. And if you're just going to be somewhat Adele-like because you have a beautiful voice, you're going to sit up there and it's not going to become some some fantastic show. And yeah. not everybody's going to make it, but that, that's that's everything in life. Uh, let me go backwards. And I do this a lot because I make these mental notes as we have this discussion. Um, you said you start off like with keyboard, right? Can you play other musical instruments? So um, 
I, I would say yes and no. I, I would. I, I mean, not very good. I played piano at four is when I started, and I quit lessons like an idiot because I was, you know, teenager and I didn't think, you know, early teens, and I just didn't think I needed it. And um, I really wish I would have never stopped. But so I've always been a piano player, a keyboardist at heart. I'd call it a keyboardist at this point. And I'm into synthesizers, and you know, I'll dabble on the drums. I could probably keep the most basic, steady beat. You know, and but I what I also believe in is part of I think why things changed for me the last few years, me and my partner S1, is we kind of just you know, we're experimenting, it's left field, we're trying to be different because that's who we really are. And, you know, so when I say I could grab an instrument and feel like I could wank around on it a little bit and whatever comes of it comes of it, right? You can find use in it. I mean, it's all just a note in a scale anyway. So as long as you know what note it is, you can make it make sense. And I'm a big analog modular synthesizer enthusiast. And a lot of that is randomized you know, sounds. So you don't know what you're going to get. I just hit record for 15 minutes, let it run, and I'll go back and chop it up later. So, you know, yes, I do play multiple instruments. I only specialize in maybe one and the rest of it is all happy accidents. Right. Um, I know there are some people, some producers, people would never imagine they are gifted musicians across things that people would never imagine because there's so much technology involved in things now. And I think we've moved far enough away where you don't have to be a musician to create music. Oh, it's crazy. You wouldn't believe it. I mean, and now, you know, with MIDI, for anybody who doesn't know what MIDI is, so it's data that that pretty much, so for example, you could, you could take a MIDI chord progression and it's just MIDI data of those notes and you can run that through a synthesizer or it will trigger a virtual instrument and play those chords for you. So yes, there's guy and there's software that'll do it for you too. You know, auto scales and auto chords. And so yes, you do not need to know how to play. It is good that you know how, you know, for anybody, the younger crowd that might want to, uh, that doesn't think you need it, it's great to know because I think it helps you when you're creating music too to understand maybe some of the theory behind it. Not that you have to master it, but it is good to understand that. Um, I think it helps you make better decisions when you're creating. I've always told myself at a very base level when I'm doing my imaging and production, like not that any sound wonk would ever be listening and go, he went on the six and not the eight. Like, I'm just <laughs> making stuff for the average person, and I, I focus yeah. on my writing, but I've always reminded yeah. myself, you can count to four, you're okay. you got a baseline <laughs> to go off of there, right? Because everything right. is just... I, I took... Um, the only class my dad let me fail was eighth grade music with Mr. Leach. Oof. The whole class was musicians. They were all in choir, played an instrument. I, I, didn't, do, I didn't do any of that stuff, and it was all like... It was all advanced trigonometry, and my dad's like, "Look, I get it. I, I couldn't read music." Yeah, yeah. You you learn to read music well, with the keyboard stuff. That's how piano. I. That's how I started. And when I say I wish I wouldn't have quit, is because that's the one aspect now that I wish I had kept all the years. So when when you quit lessons, you kind of not that I can't look at a piece of sheet music and understand the basics of it, but yeah, it's definitely it would be nice to know how to read. But I will say there's a lot of producers at least that some of them don't necessarily play any instruments. They're kind right. of using their ears and just lending that aspect of, of their work. So they may sit in the room and you've got five other producers doing the work with the instruments, but you know, you have producer XYZ who just sits there and kind of says, yes, no, use this sound, move this around, change this. So you don't have to have a musical background. And I think sometimes the happy accidents are great though. You know, and I, I really think that's, that's because no one else made that sound. I feel like right. if, if you don't know how to play something, you'll play something that nobody 
would have probably played. What's the most obscure, as you just called, like a happy accident that you have found somewhere? And I don't know if this is how you work. I know you hear stories of some producers or hear a car door close or something, and then before you know it, it's a, it's a beat. What? Give me a story of, of that, like yours. Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, that's one of my secret recipes, and especially with us at S1AO, is we like to capture organic found sound. So we'll go out and capture textures or field recordings. We will layer a lot of organics, you know, nature, just running your hands along the carpet or scraping your foot, you know, on the concrete or just, and capture those, place them in a folder and then you kind of utilize them, um, you know, where needed. But, you know, I, the weirdest story, well, actually, you know, speaking of like that in the Beyonce situation, you know, I was actually in the garage dropping a broomstick on the ground and throwing it behind the snare in the song. So that's probably the craziest story only because my wife walked out and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, Shh, I'm recording, I'm dropping the broom on the ground and capturing the sound. And she went back in. She already knows that I do stuff like that. But it's just funny when I feel like everybody's still looking at you like, why are you really doing that? Like, what difference is that going to make? Shit. But nobody else has that sound, right? I captured that on the spot in my garage and you don't have it. I do. She just saw another moment where you weren't cleaning, where you could have been. <laughs> right. um, who is, to, to bring this back to kind of like a, a mainstream uh thing and this is the beauty of podcasts we can get into the weeds like this but sure. bring it back to the center when you had that light go off and thought i want to i want to be a producer uh, this is what i really love i love turning knobs and everything you said who was a, a producer that you tried to, to copy their style or collection of them and then make your own who'd you look up to yeah i mean dj quick was my first real i would say inspiration as a producer where i understood what a producer was and I just really respected his sound he's kind of that west coast old gangster you know funk rap from from back in the day but if you really listen to his production it was just pieced together very well this song arrangement and it was it was also live oriented too there was live bass and I, I just think that and I was always a big jazz fan too um, I don't create jazz necessarily not that I haven't in the past but I think I just appreciated that type of workflow it's, it takes a very creative mind to play like a jazz or something like that so I think all those fusions really inspired me at the time I mean now I'm a huge Kanye West fan I think that he just throws paint and really sets no rules and that's kind of been one of my if, you know in the studio if there was a rule in my studio it's that there's no rules so I really always like the Bonnie Vares and, and guys that just really get crazy and don't care what anybody says and we're just going to kind of capture sounds we want we'll present it the way we want and i just have always believed in that and i and, and actually when we started implementing that into our own create like creativity during covid especially is where all these beyonce things started to kind of fall into place so and with that i say follow your creative gut because nobody wants a cookie cutter at the end of the day. Yeah. Anybody can make something specific, right? But nobody can make, you know, or so nobody can duplicate something that you truly felt at that moment if you follow that instinct. And if you're going to be an artist and you're going to limit yourself or someone else will by, by, by rules, it takes away a lot of the artistry. Yeah, it really does. Like, I think that's one of the most important things is score the human. No idea, producer. I just watched a little clip that S1 had sent me uh, last week, and he literally said in there, we have to, it's not about the beat. 
right? If you're making beats or, you know, making the music beds, there's so many beats, right? But yet we have to score the human as a producer. That's our job. And that just resonated with me to the core because it's exactly what it's about. So when you spend that time at the beginning of a session, you get to know an artist, you're talking to them about what are you going through right now? What's your life been like? What are your emotions? What are you feeling? Because that helps us create the music bed behind that. And with that, you're scoring the human. One of my favorite things to hear artists talk about, and 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 this is like TikTok artists. This is this is the mega stars from Taylor Swift to everybody else. I will always, and I am not the industry wonk that I was many years ago. Now now I'm a Toledo wonk. I've I've shifted. Um, I am always a sucker for an artist story of when they hear their stuff on the radio, for the millionth time or the first time. What's your story with that? Oh, yeah. Um, Actually, so mine is more um, seeing your song played live. Um, That was, so recently worked with Andy Minio. um, And so we got a video of him doing our song live. It was the greatest feeling to see that happen because we know the history of how that was made. We know the steps that went into creating that and the back and forth and the edits and everything. And then to kind of see people singing along with the song live and waving your hands around. And man, it's, it's incredible. This might be the, the most challenging question I, w- I will throw at you. Um, I, what kind of movies do you like? Oh, you know, of course I love all the old Godfathers and, okay. you know, I'd say that's probably my, you know, and all, all the old 80s, you know, Back to the Future and okay. Ninja Turtles, Batman, of course, growing up, I was a big, huge old school wrestling fan growing up too. So that's kind of what my space was. Do you watch Marvel movies? A little, stuff? a little bit. Okay. Sci-fi, yeah. Okay. A little bit. Um, there are so many people that are buried in the credits that are so important and vital to these movies that make billions. And, Chris Evans is great. Like these are fantastic, likable actors. Blah blah blah. But the stuff, the magic, is by somebody in a studio who you will never know, and maybe can barely afford his Starbucks. And this is the tough question. And I, I'm curious of your answer, but I can see the passion in you that what you just described about seeing people swaying and all that stuff that that you can you can compartmentalize it. You ever get a little upset, bothered? Generally speaking, that the artists get get all the love when they don't do as much for a certain track or album as you would think. Like, without your beat, the song might not happen the way it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a tough question. Um, I <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess no, yes and no. I, I think that I personally would rather them have the attention. I'm completely fine with, you know, never being seen. Actually, I'll, I'll isolate in my studio. I'll work the rooms, you know, but when the stuff comes out, you know, it's cool to share it on social media and talk to people about it. But, you know, I don't want somebody following me around with a camera all day. I've had, right. you know, the last couple of days have been crazy. So right away, I actually told my wife last night, I'm like, I don't know how people do this. Yeah, You know, you got to be kidding me. So I think when it comes to the financial side of the business and what they're willing to give you as a producer, whether that be publishing or percentages, royalties, et cetera, I think where th- that's where my issue would lie is that I feel like we are devalued to some extent and not that that's, I think on the business side, we're devalued, not that the artists, I think they all know, but everybody's just so locked into the moment and the music and the task at hand that you don't really think about it. But I think that it's more of a, fi- a financial thing. I think yeah. that we, you know, if we, if we didn't play a specific role, 
you know, in the lyric or the melody, even though everything else we did might have still made it what it is, you know, they're real quick to kind of cut us out of certain things. Yeah. And I definitely don't agree with that. And I know there's a lot of guys in the industry, engineers, producers, writers who are working hard, you know, within the academy uh, to help fix that. And and actually, if you were to give me a 10 to 20 year goal, you know, I would love to be a part of those conversations and, and kind of work my way, you know, as I age and, you know, kind of get into a more admin role. I mean, those are things that I'd like to work with when help change those things. And that doesn't mean that artists aren't at the same time, artists are getting taken advantage of as well. So I think we would all each position in the industry would have a complaint about sure. either the other or the overall situation. And I think it's even more important why you build good, strong relationships with these people that you're working with because then it's easier to have those talks. I think everybody's on the same page because the business can ruin everything. I've seen it. Yeah. I've actually been through it. It's either the money or the paperwork that ends up killing it. And it's really not worth it at the end of the day because now imagine having a dispute with an artist and now you guys have to go back in and actually be creative. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big, that's a big yeah. problem. So, you know, anytime I can avoid that, the better. Um, I can hear all the all the loaded things in, in that. I, I, I would make it the, the best example, sports guy at all. Oh, big time. Yeah, actually, uh, I would say sports is my hobby. Tom Brady is phenomenal. I'm he's the best quarterback to ever live. Yeah. It's overlooked, although they did have a couple of commercials here and there. He doesn't get to do any of that without the offensive lineman doing the dirty work. Right. Right. Yeah. No, like, I I agree. I, I'm a big believer in, you know, somebody asked me this question today or yesterday. Um, I'm a big believer in the team, you know, thing of like you're you're never I'll never shut the door on five of us working on something. For me personally. It's not about Ooh, I want, you know, full credit for this, or I want this to be my thing. Maybe that's the case when we're younger. I think the more minds, the better, actually. And I think that the end result is is a uh, is a result of what everyone has done, whether you started it or you finished it. And I think everybody should somehow have equal splits in in that. You know, and obviously there's you know circumstances that would be that would be make it different. But I'm just a believer, and yes, there is a long list of people that are responsible for whatever ends up happening. And I'm always of the belief to pay respects to all those people. And actually, when you say Brady, one of my favorite Brady quotes-ish, I think it said something along the lines of his his favorite, what's your favorite Super Bowl? It's the next one. Yeah. So my answer, you know, in general is like, what's the coolest thing you're going to do? It's always going to be next the thing. next thing. And I think that that's how we make it 20 years and you never quit and you always keep striving for the next thing because that's how we keep going. And most people hang it up and, you know, they they can't finish the marathon after another. I have a, a terrible weakness and I'm curious of your thought of this and maybe it's you were of the same wavelength. I often do not save a lot of my sessions for production or things I have thousands of promos or witty lines I've written over the years. Sometimes if, if something like if Valentine's Day, there's going to be Valentine's Day every year. Um, but I often dismiss it and it sucks when I have to go back and do an edit. There's a revision or whatever. It, I'll rebuild it, whatever. But I don't save the stuff, not out of laziness, just because it's a challenge to myself to write it better the next time around. Like, I'm never concerned that my creativity will stop and it'll force me to come up with another better idea. No, that's 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 absolutely true. So, and you can always look at it as the next best thing you're ever going to make is the next thing you do. And I think you have to keep working at it. There's There's a process, even if it's five minutes a day. 
I mean, I think that you never take a day off, even if it's five minutes, right? If you're a tutorial or you're reading something or you're just spending five minutes, you know, getting to understand your instrument. You know, I've spent a lot of time with all my gear trying to be well-versed enough to know how to use it because when somebody needs something from you, you can't spend an hour knowing that this machine is what I need to use, but I, I have no idea how to use it for what I need to do with it. So... You know, I'm a believer in master master your tools and pick one at a time. I mean, not that you can't have 50 tools, but I, there's a Greg Popovich, the Spurs coach, uh, that that I, I like a lot, and it's um, do what you're good at and do it as often as possible. And there's probably some f bombs in there as well. A, of course, it's yeah. a great quote. Um, and, and I have a, like a whole. If I ever lose anything in my phone, the one thing I went back is all the notes of quotes like that that I keep. Do you have any lines like that that you run through your head? I can see the general I, guidelines. Yeah, I no, I do. I, I don't have, you know, I don't have them ready to fire away. I feel like they just kind of come to me. Sure. You know, but I am I, I love quotes. Uh, me and S1, we've actually been compiling a little quotes and captions for the same reason and, and tailored to our brand and what we feel fits the brand. Um, but yeah, I don't, you know, but I think sports quotes are always great. Matter of fact, I do have one and it's my favorite one, I think, especially for what's happening with me right now with Parcells, uh, I think it was when the Giants won the Super Bowl, and he's he's in the locker room, and at the end, and he's telling everybody for the rest of your life, nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did it. Yeah, and I I'm such a believer in that, and that's not that that is true, but what he's meaning is you put all the work in for however many years that you've done to get to this point, and now at least it pays off for you at the moment and nobody can ever take that away from you and that's actually the best feeling you know and i would have rather took 20 years to get to where i'm at now than to had it happen in two years and then you have no idea what to do with it and you haven't built the right character to deal with it as well and then you're you're young financially irresponsible sometimes broke and yeah, uh, yeah as my agree. dad one of the quotes that I always use with my dad and he's so right and I I understand it more every day as I as we age as we do youth is wasted on the young um <laughs> yeah. I don't want to take up too much of your time let's jump forward to kind of like the the shiny Super Bowl who are some of the names that you have worked with how did these relationships happen and where are things now um yeah I mean I you know my first my, my first almost because there's a long list of almosts uh was Charlie Puth and at the time, he was a, he was a newer artist. He had done, I think, with Fast and the Furious. I don't know if you guys remember when Paul Walker died. See you again, son. See you again. With Khalifa. So we got in with Charlie at that stage. And we were on his album, which was going to be his first album. And we were all up on the pre-order. This is, you know, you do the iTunes. At the time, it was I wasn't Apple Music at the time. Uh, iTunes pre-order. And right before release, they bumped us off the album for the Selena Gomez song, uh, We Don't Talk Anymore. Yep. Which is a smash hit. I mean, we under, you understand, right? That's a great song. But so that was, that was my first taste of what that's like. And I would say that was the first major artist mm -hmm. that um, I had the privilege uh, to, to work with and on uh, for the project. But that was also the biggest lesson I think I've ever learned was how crushed I was for a very long period of time after that. And I think that that character that I gained from that moment, I've carried on because those things kept happening, maybe not at that severity, but those things kept happening for me over the, and that was about 2015 maybe. Mm -hmm. And look, we're seven years later and I'm, and so much of this has happened where each time now, and even with this Beyonce, when we found out about it, obviously we were, we were like, Hey, you know, let, you know, we'll put stock in it, but 
I'm already was prepared to know how this thing goes. Sure. So yeah, Charlie Puth. Uh, we've done songs with Eminem, worked with X Ambassadors, which those guys are great, man. That was one of the best experiences I think that I've ever had. Actually, those guys are incredible. Um, and actually, I see you've got an Ariana poster on your wall. Um, when that artist Britain and I from Toledo, when we flew out to work with Tommy, uh, we actually met Ariana. Uh, we're out there, you know, for about a week and we all went bowling. It was the coolest thing in the world, but small world, right? All these people are just as cool as, you know, you think that they are. And, you know, I think people look at celebrities and they think, oh, well, they're celebrities, right? But they're humans just like we are. And I think that, you know, there's a big misconception with, you know, how, how they're taken. But, um, so yeah, I've had a nice little journey, man. And I, the way I see it is this is the new beginning now. This is like, we've completed the first, you know, marathon of the first you know whatever it is and now we're starting the next one how did the beyonce project come around so during covid you know me and s1 we started you know we were developing software and we put out a sample pack that other producers can use in their music and um somehow uh her team had got a hold of it played it for her there were a few specific sounds that she wanted to use and so they reached out direct and said hey i we'd rather just go right to the source would you guys just mind working on my album and of course we're like absolutely and they sent over some sessions and you know we were able to work on it in a few days sent it back and literally just like that it kind of happened and we've been planning to release software next month but this kind of crash landed at the same time so it was almost like we could have never planned it to happen as great right. as it did and i would have never predicted a beyonce situation if you would you know when when that happened and he called me and said hey you'll never guess I could guess a thousand times would have never guessed Beyonce. Um, but it's perfect. And that's how you can never plan or you can never set expectations because you have all you need to do is you just keep working hard. You put yourself in positions to win. You can't win if you're not playing the game. No. So you just got to keep going. Um, you did all that with all the hard work over these years and, and the passion and the joy and staying up on things and always wanting to improve yourself. And, uh, there's a it was in a one republic song i forget which one but i had heard the line before that but the one republic song obviously ryan tedder is an incredible writer one definitely those, again one of these things where people don't understand that, like our radio station doesn't exist without ryan tedder a thousand percent not because of one republic because of who he's written for including beyonce absolutely and the line was which is also now in my quotes hope is a four-letter word <laughs> no so true no he's great and yeah i mean I love that you've got all these, you've got these quotes and I think that it's, it's no, I, but I think, you know, part of our job, if we're going to communicate and, you know, you're talking on a microphone, right? Or you're speaking on a panel is we have to inspire and make impacts. And I think that that that's helpful when we have those nuggets to pass along and little good stories or ways to help, you know, inspire other people to be better. And, and you can make it from Toledo, right? You can make it from a small town in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, right? You just have to put the work in and don't, ever let anybody tell you you can't do it i just think people hang it up way too soon Pe people actually i think hang it up right before a breakthrough that's usually. a that's an edison quote i think uh something about people people don't know how close they were to success when yeah when they hung it up yeah it's crazy yeah. i mean i've had moments don't get me wrong we have many moments where you want to you know walk away you're like well how how many more times is this going to happen to me before you know something great happens and that's why i always say when we say little wins and big wins we have a lot of little wins that are still great wins but the little ones shape the big win yeah and i think that can take a really long time but the losses build the character i'll give you a 
Again, I'm just loaded with these things. Uh, I'll give you the Bill Belichick <laughs> quote that I, that I love so much, other than just do your job, which more people need to do. Uh, take care of the little things, and the big things take care of themselves. Man, facts. Yeah. Big facts. Um, so what happens after all the Beyonce stuff? What's the trajectory and the hopes and the goals or whatever for, for what's next? That's uh, a beautiful mystery, and I'm all about it. Um, a vacation, maybe? Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, that's. I, I wish. You know, never know. I, I think that what's nice is, is not knowing. And sometimes you just keep your head down and you keep moving and, and you know, things will surprise you. Um, but, you know, I've had some publishing conversations now and, you know, so I think that it's it's definitely opening a lot more doors than were open from before. Anybody? And I'm able to leverage some relationships too, I sure. think a little better when, you know, credential, you know, credentially when things line up a certain way. So I'm just looking forward to it, man. I'm, I'm trying not to set expectations. Anybody that you want to work with, whether people are familiar with the name or not? Oof, I mean, there's so many. Um, dead or alive, right? Because, I mean, like Pink Floyd. I mean, I, I was such a big Pink Floyd fan. Um, and, and I think it's because of the way that they created their experience. And you could you could put the record on and listen to it straight through. And there was so much of a journey involved in it. And I think, like, that's the whole S1AO thing, too, is, like, create an experience and a journey. I think that's what lasts forever. Music's very much single-based now, and it's very much focused on, like, one song at a time. And you don't really get to... I feel like you're not painting, like, an overall experience for your fans, right? I feel like there's artists that have so much to give, but we're worried about one song at a time because that's kind of the business model right now. Can we talk about that for a second? Sure. I, I When the Beyonce song came out, out. Um, the Drake was kind of a prelude. We, there were some rumors that it was going to be a dance album or whatnot, and, and it certainly was. It reminded, when we played it on the podcast, we were talking uh, like Robin asked, Show Me Love. Yeah. I was most stunned, and this is just where she is and the gravitas that she has. Like you talked about, the business is, as people may or may not notice now, listen to a song from 2004. You'll hear the difference if you have the patience. The song is four minutes and 37 seconds long. Only Beyonce and a few others can get away with that. Adele, um, the first single, yep. uh, Easy On Me, was three minutes and 42 seconds. Everybody else, the baby acts, the TikTok stars, have to make songs that are two minutes and eight seconds long. Why? Do you, do you want to explain how the finances work with this? Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> money-wise, I mean... The more streams, the more money for the label. Oh, and right. Definitely, yeah. If you have a four and a half minute long song, that's... That's only one stream as opposed to two mm -hmm. of a two and a half minute long song. Yeah, I, I think it's more people's attention spans. That too. Actually, I, I think the youth, and I know my kids are the same way. I mean, you know, you 30 seconds in, you're ready to switch it. You know, whereas I, I would say in our day, right, we'd put an album on, you listen to it straight through, you'll wait for track eight because of the way that they sequenced it. Yeah. You know, so, <clears throat> but I think it's, I think it's just disappointing, um, you know, in a sense that that's, that's what the model is. Only I feel the true creator appreciates, you know, journey-like music. And so the Bonnie Vares of the world, right? And guys like that, I'd love Kanye West will build an experience like that. So those are always, you know, when I pick my favorite stuff to listen to are the people that I would love to work with. Labyrinth is great. I don't know if you know who that is. He's, he's incredible. Was, was that with the, uh, oh God, the Zendaya stuff? Or was that the name of the song? He, he did Euphoria. Yes. The soundtrack. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. So, 
But I think, you know, he's he's the same kind of creator where you're just throwing paint and, you know, you're just being ultra creative and it's okay to be different. I think we all want to be different. I think everybody has the fear of being different and everybody wants to fit in because, well, that's what they did. Well, that's how they made, they, when you, everybody think, hey, you're going to make a hit song. Well, go listen to the top 10 and everybody's right. trying to mimic that. It's just a slippery slope. It's it's kind of like, and that's why getting in in the fourth quarter, like in Beyonce, was great because they they came to us for our sound, which is incredible. That's what you want. But getting in in the fourth quarter is great too, especially if you don't have the strong relationship because you can, um, you know, you're at the end. You didn't do something at the beginning. We've been in many situations in the first quarter, the second quarter, where it doesn't make the album right. because you were kind of ahead at that point. The label may say, nope, you need to go this direction. The group or the band may say, or the artist says, you know what, this isn't my sound right now. And, and that's why you're making a hundred songs and you're picking, you know, or more and you know, you're trying to narrow it down to 10 or eight or 15. Um, we got a couple minutes left. Yeah. Is there anything that I, I should have asked you that I didn't, uh, how can people follow your stuff from here on out, especially here where we're sitting in this area, in this community? Yeah. Um, Instagram is at Jamil Aussie. Um, and I can send you all that if you want to share that as well. Um, and, and really you can find me, um, you know, locked away in my studio and I'm just working hard. What I are mean, your, that's, tell me about the sports hobby stuff. So, yeah. So, you what know, makes sports, you yell at your TV. Oh, <laughs> are, so actually, are you, are you Steelers fan? I'm, I'm not a sport, like I told you off the air. So when I, as soon as I started doing sports talk radio, the fan in me departed. I, wow. You know what? I, sorry about your stadium. Is that what you were going to ask about? Or no, no, I'm actually a Packers fan. So okay. I was, I was wondering, I was at that Super Bowl against okay. Pittsburgh. So I didn't know if since you were from Pennsylvania, but uh, no, we're, we're huge Packers fans and my kids are crazy. So a Sunday in my house when Green Bay's on is like my dog has heart attacks. You know, every, we're screaming at the TV. I'm sure the neighbors can hear us. So it's always pretty intense. But, you know, I grew up a Packers fan. So, we, of course, we pass it down to the kids. Um, I'm just a huge sports fan in general. I play fantasy football, of course. I'll be in five different leagues. You know, I'll do DraftKings. And I just kind of, I'm always, you know, I listen to sports talk radio religiously because it also allows me to step away from music. I can only listen to so much music sometimes and I have to give my my brain a break yeah so you know I, I love Stephen A as much as everybody would hate Stephen A I'm a big fan of like just I don't know I just think it's interesting it's so so many people go to music for low calorie escape and there's nothing wrong with that at all the bubblegum nature of it I mean there's a difference between who you're talking about with like the bone of air and some more Charlie Puth stuff I'm not saying it's a little coward. It's just bubblegum stuff. It's yeah. escapism. Your yep. escapism is Stephen A. Smith and all the yelling on ESPN that I hate. Yeah, a thousand percent. <laughs> it, it, but I, and I don't know what it is. And even like fantasy radio, I'll listen to fantasy radios like Jeff Manns and Fantasy Alarm and these guys. And I kind of, they have that same thing where it's, I can see why they annoy people. But yet I'm just always, and again, I play fantasy football. I'm into sports. So I also like to be well-versed in, in that area. So I'll just listen to it. It's just fun. It allows me to step away and kind of forget about the world um, and forget about the music business. I had to stop fantasy football because I was I was fucking over <laughs> somebody scoring 37 points on my bench. I Like, fantasy right. baseball, I micromanaged the hell out of my roster. Yeah. Basketball's good. I was done with fantasy football when that shit always happens. I know. No, You I, score I, the second most points in the league of the week and you lose by two. I completely agree. That happens <laughs> to me all the time. Yeah, and, and especially in the playoffs when you're, you know, I don't know how many times I've made the final four and I lose because of that reason. So, 
it's yeah, it sucks. I've I've actually got my kid into it. He's gonna be pretty good. I told him, hey, you've been playing since you were about twelve. So when you get into high school, you're gonna you're gonna spank everybody. Do you know the name uh, on ESPN? Joe Fortenbaugh. Mm-mm. So uh, Joe has had a meteoric rise to fame, and he's a great dude. Um, just a neat story from my career back in Allentown, Pennsylvania. It was um, it was the night Donovan McNabb got traded from the Eagles to uh, to Washington. Okay, Easter Sunday night, just out of nowhere, and I see this guy that I, I it just popped up in my Twitter feed. Uh, I'm sitting at whatever bar that was in McCungie, Pennsylvania, and people are losing their minds over McNabb. I'm like, hold on a second. The guy who I follow for fantasy advice lives two blocks away. Started having him <laughs> on the show, and he's one of the nicest, smartest, hardest working guys. And now I'll see him on ESPN doing his fantasy football stuff. And I'm like, hey, how's dad life going? Because we just talk about that stuff. Yeah. Sports is his job, and he's so good at it. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that cool when those things line up like that? I feel like those are, you know, those are people that are meant to be in your life in some way, too. And it, it allows, you know, we all need an escape, you know, and I think we all get so consumed in our work. So sports were always my escape. Who is you know? that? Who's Rogers going to throw to this year? Ooh, I mean, I think it's, you know, I feel like everybody's writing us off. I don't know why. I mean, I feel like now we can spread it around. You don't know where it's going. I think that there's a lot of value in that. So I think he'll spread it around. I think we should still have a really good season. I still believe we could make the Super Bowl. I mean, I don't think the NFC is as strong as, you know, it, it has been in the past. At least not when I mean, look at the AFC right now. The, the AFC is top heavy and the NFC is more solid, even with like, Anybody can laugh. The Lions will be better this year. I so, think they will. So the bottom of the NFC is higher than it's been. You know, I, I, I'm a fan to some degree. The Eagles are going to be a lot better this year with Jalen Hurts another year. Um, Washington may not be as chaotic. The Giants will have seemingly some direction. So, so the the floor is higher than it's been. Yeah, yeah. It should be interesting. You know, I, I'm excited for for football I always get real hype about August September you know there's nothing like you know unwinding you know on a, on a Monday night or a Sunday night or whatever and you know football's on I would say football's definitely my favorite sport um I'm a big fan of NBA as well who's your team um or in, player in which sport NBA in NBA that's a really good question so when I grew up I was a Sonics fan okay and kind of a Blazers fan yeah Peyton and Kemp and and when I was really little I liked Clyde Drexler so I would say now since they moved the Sonics to the Thunder but then I saw I followed Westbrook around so I don't I don't really have a team it's Russell Westbrook has been my recent favorite of course I love LeBron and you know when I was a kid it was Kemp and Peyton and Shaq I love Shaq so never really had a definitive uh, favorite basketball team, especially after the Sonics move. So somebody please bring the Sonics back. Who are your connections that you can call? We need to bring the Sonics back. <laughs> I, I know that David Silver wants them back. They want to get to 32 teams, and they're not getting to 32 teams without the Sonics. And there's a new yeah. arena there for the hockey team. Uh, the yeah. Kraken, so it's it's there. Yeah. Um, and I know the WNBA team there does well. So the, the Sonics will be back, and I, I love those teams as well, because we, we all say, get off my lawn. Things are better when I was younger. But 90s NBA Man, was... It was great. Yeah. Have you watched The Last Dance? Yeah. With George, I mean, that's... I, I mean, chills. I've watched it so many times just to be inspired. You know, as much of a prick that Jordan might have been, right? But I, I can kind of see where he's coming from when you watch that. Relentless yeah, I, competitor. <clears throat> yeah, there's nothing... Kobe was the same way. I love Kobe. And I think that that's... I mean, Kobe outworked you. Hands down. You know, if you got up at four, he got up at three. Let me ask you this question about Jordan, and we'll, we'll totally wrap up because I do love juxtaposing, and I do think it's a viable debate to debate 
uh, to talk about uh, the NBA now, mm-hmm. which is fine. There's more athletic and uh, athletic skill than ever before in talent uh, that proliferates the league. And, and as old as these guys get, Kevin Durant is mid-30s now, still going to be a great scorer. It is different. Um, how many points would Jordan have scored in this NBA? Oh, wow. it's a great question. Would it be uh, oh, oh, less, slightly less than or over 50? Oh, because you can't touch. Like he went through a literal gauntlet of '90s NBA bodies. Yeah, no, I no, I think it would have been over. I think in his in his heyday, if you yeah. placed him now, but also feel like you know bodies are bigger now. It was more, it was tougher back then. I feel like, but these, do you see these kids now? Mm-hmm. There's these high schoolers look like college athletes. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. So I don't know. I think it's over though. I think it's the over. I love the Jordan discussion simply because you bring up a great point that th- these people are better trained. It's funny. I saw some. High school kid from around here uh, on the cover of the blade a couple weeks ago and I, I posted I'm like they don't make like 18 year olds like they no, do when we were no. kids. These guys are monsters now. The, the other thing I think people maybe leave out of the Jordan discussion because you're right these athletes now are fantastic but back then like you had to get through like three Charles Oakleys and then get your <laughs> ass up and hit a couple free throws but add to this because I think people forget about this about Jordan what if he decided or knew to add a three pointer to his game he took yeah. like three a game. No you're absolutely right and I think he would have and you see how the NBA is evolving with the three-point shot yeah. now, right? So he would have done that, and then who knows what he'd have scored at that point. Yeah. I mean, he just, you know, that's the epitome of a music's the same way, the feel thing. Jordan had the feel. He had the touch. Kobe has the touch. Steph Curry's got the touch, right? You got somebody like Russell Westbrook. I love Westbrook. <laughs> he doesn't have the touch, though, but he's got the intensity, yeah. and he'll slam it down your throat, right? But yet doesn't have the touch. You got guys like Curry and them, so I think I think Jordan nowadays would have would have fared much better than then. So, but that also shows you how great he was at that time yeah. to be able to dominate as rough as it was physically. You know, even going back to the old Pistons Isaiah days at that time. I mean, you watch the, you know, the show. I mean, that was a tough era to play in, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I I I grew up in Philadelphia, so. Barkley, Rick Mahorn, yeah. uh, the, the Sixers-Pistons fights. It was a different time, and that stuff bordered on assault. But, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I love the 90s versus now discussion because it was great then. And one of the, my favorite things about, um, remember in like the mid-2000s, it was like post-Iverson era, where it was all about getting on Sports Center. Yep. And yep. my dad's like, they just they can't make jump shots anymore. And now all they do is make jump shots. Yeah. No, it's it's great. It's just the evolution, you know, of sports and of basketball. Football's different. I mean, look at the way football's played now, right? I mean, everything can't, evolves. Can't touch anybody. Lots of passes. No, lots you can't even. I, and I, I'm a big believer still of let them play. Because cameras get in, get in the way, it slows the game down. And sometimes, you know, if you're going to do that with cameras, then you can say that everything pre-replay, as bad as it is now, is all up for discussion then, yeah. right? Like, let's right? take away some Super Bowls. Let's ta- exactly. Uh, the Roethlisberger Seattle Super Bowl. He wasn't over the goal line. Yeah. Last thing, what is your hottest of all sports takes? Like, if somebody says it, you will <laughs> lose your mind. You want to pick up and call that station or the the one the hill you will die on for sports. Oh, wow. Wow. You know what? Nobody's ever asked me that question. So, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, uh, if somebody ever tries to say that Aaron Rodgers isn't the most talented quarterback of all time. Maybe the then best you got to be crazy. Could, could be. And the same thing with Brett Favre. Who didn't love watching Brett Favre? You told me you didn't love watching Brett Favre. Forget it. Uh, really the last thing this time. Do you listen to Colin Cowherd? I actually like Colin. What do you think? I, I have always loved Colin. He's the one that, that w- made me want to be more intellectual. Yep. Um, 
I'm mad he left ESPN. Actually, that when he left there, he was in the perfect time slot. So now he's coming on at noon because he's in LA. Yeah. I used to love him in that 10 to, 10 to 1 slot. Um, He gets on Aaron. If you, he does. I mean, I listen to Colin just about every day, yeah. and he will never turn down an Aaron topic. Right, right. So me and him, you know, he'd be the guy I'd get heated with then. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much. This was great. Anytime you want to bullshit about sports, you you know where to find oh, me. Oh, man, so. I will I will call you for sure. Was this better than the Fred interview? This, uh, well, <laughs> I love you, Fred. It's fine, it's fine. <laughs> awesome.